Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. State of Florida versus Travis Rudolph. Defendant, verdict. We the jury find as follows. As to count one, we find the defendant not guilty. Former NFL player Travis Rudolph acquitted on all counts in the death of one man and the shooting of another during a fight at his home in Florida. We look at seven key moments from Rudolph's trial. Welcome to Law and Crime Sidebar Podcast. I'm Anjanette Levy. Travis Rudolph says he was acting in self-defense when he fired at a group of men leaving his home 39 times back in April of 2021. Those four men were leaving his home in a vehicle following a fight. It all started after Travis Rudolph and his now ex-girlfriend, Dominique Jones, had a fight at his house in West Palm Beach. Jones said it got physical and Rudolph told her to leave. Jones texted her brother and one of his friends telling them to shoot him up. Four men showed up, including Jones's brother, Keyshawn Jones, Tyler Robinson, Christopher Lowe, and Sebastian Jean-Jacques. A fist fight broke out between the four and Rudolph. Rudolph's brother, Daryl, was also involved. As those four men left, Travis Rudolph fired at a vehicle carrying the men 39 times after he said he saw a gun pointed out of the window. Sebastian Jean-Jacques was killed. Tyler Robinson was hit and wounded, but survived. Joining me to discuss these big moments in the Travis Rudolph trial is Mark O'Mara. He is a famed criminal defense attorney from Orlando, Florida. And if his name and face sound and look familiar to you, that's because he represented George Zimmerman back in 2012, won an acquittal for him in the shooting death of Trayvon Martin. Mark, welcome to Sidebar. Thanks for coming on. Great to be here. Good seeing you again. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, we've met before back in 2015, but that's a story for another time. Let's talk right now about these big moments in the Travis Rudolph trial. You know, the incident that really set off these chain, this chain of events was this argument that Travis Rudolph had with his girlfriend, Dominique Jones. This was this big argument where he told her to leave the house and she texted her brother and some other people and said she wanted them to shoot Rudolph. Four men, including Jones's brother, Keyshawn Jones, showed up and punches were thrown. There were fights between Travis and his brother, of course. And Dominique Jones testified for the state. Then it was Rudolph's attorney's turn to cross-examine her. So have you snooped around in his phone on prior occasions with his password? No, because I, I just had surgery, so I haven't seen him in, like, I haven't seen him in a while. So you were snooping around because you were... I wouldn't use the word snoop. Overruled. So you were snooping around because you were concerned about him seeing other women down in Miami. Isn't that the bottom line? The bottom line is he's he was my boyfriend at the time. I haven't seen him in a month, and I was curious. That's the bottom line. Okay. You didn't want to lose him, right? Of course not. And when Travis said that he found Kyla's um, body more attractive than yours, you became infuriated. Right? No. 
didn't? No. You didn't, you weren't upset that he found Kyla more attractive than you? No. When you saw the text from Kyla, you told the jury yesterday, it was time for me to go. You remember that? Correct. And when you saw the text from Kyla, Travis was still outside, right? He was out with his brother. You were, you were looking through his phone when he was outside. Correct. So you waited for Travis to come back into the house to confront him, did you not? I more so didn't confront him. I just went into the room to grab my things. So you didn't walk right out the door, did you? I went to go grab my things, and he seen his phone on the couch, so he kind of put two and two together. You waited for him to come back in so that you can confront him. Isn't that what's happening? I didn't confront him. He kind of confronted me about the situation because he's seen his phone was open. You wanted to hurt him, and that's why you stayed in the house, so that you could confront him and then destroy his property. Did you not? No, I wanted to grab my things, and I wanted to leave. Well, you immediately went off on him, didn't you? No. Yesterday you told the jury I was... I was hurt. I was not angry. You remember that? Yes. You were actually very angry, were you not? I was more so hurt than angry. But you were also angry, weren't you? I was more so hurt than angry. So, Mark, how do you think that Dominique Jones held up on the stand? She's basically texting these people and saying, he did this to me, shoot him up. I think she did fair. I think the defense did a very good job because, remember, what this whole case has to be about is Rudolph's perspective of what was going on. So the fact that you know she does sort of set this in motion, she's the one who says shoot the blank up or his blank up. You know that that's sort of the the previous event, right? That's the cause of all of this. And then when they show up, Rudolph reacts as most of us would have when somebody breaks into your house or comes to your house, and he reacted to protect himself. And I thought the defense did a very good job of sort of showing. This all happened because of her, and but for her bringing in the posse, so to speak, none of this would have happened. And Florida, you know, we've seen this in other cases, has a very strong stand-your-ground law, self-defense law. So that's going to play heavily into this case. Big time. I mean, this, this whole case is truly a traditional self-defense. Now, remember, again, the nuance between Florida's stand-your-ground and others basically means if you're where you're allowed to be, and Rudolph certainly was in his own home, then you don't have to back away. You don't have to retreat before using deadly force. But it, it hardly matters when you're in your own home because that sort of brings us over to the castle doctrine, which means at the front door of your residence, of your home, of your castle, you're allowed to defend yourself. So while Stand Your Ground gives Mr. Rudolph some additional benefits under the statute, this is truly traditional self-defense. Can you protect yourself in your home from the threat or at least the perceived threat of great bodily injury. One of the big points of contention in this case is whether or not the posse, the group of four, went to the house of Travis Rudolph with a gun. Uh, two of the four men had told the lead detective in this case, Emily Vanderland, that none of them had a gun, but a canine actually located one tossed away. Here's Travis Rudolph's attorney grilling the detective about her work. Why would you do that in a homicide case? Talk to someone and not record what they have to say. What logical reason would any human being do that to another human being? Well, we don't just constantly record ourselves. I mean, I suppose with body cams now, that's not exactly a true statement. But at the time, we didn't have body cams. 
and we don't just turn the recorder on and record every single second of every single thing. I didn't take a statement that was not recorded. I spoke to her, is what I'm saying, and it was not recorded. I didn't ask you that. My question, you made the statement. You're privileged to do that. Yes. Then I'm asking you, why in the world would you ever do that? That's all I'm asking you. I'm not asking what you did in this case. I'm asking what you do. I, why would you do that? Sustain. Mark, I'm interested in how you believe the lead detective did on the stand because she kind of chuckled a little bit. That, that's allowed in court. Things happen. But she just kind of took their word for it, it sounded like, that none of them brought a gun. Yeah, and that's part of the problem. And look, we as good defense counsel always look and say, what could have been done better? What could have been done differently? This investigation was fair, maybe okay. This was not a great investigation by law enforcement because you're right. What they sort of did was, okay, you guys showed up. You said you had no guns. Let's blame him and charge him with a crime. But the harsh reality is what Rudolph said was that there was the threat of guns or that they had guns. They lie about it. Lo and behold, canine finds one. Then there was also some forensic evidence of maybe the decedent could have had a gun in his hand when he was shot. So I think all of that evidence is going to work well in the defense favor for a couple of reasons. One, cops didn't do a great job. Two, victims or posse, as we call them, uh, were lying or willing to minimize their own involvement in it. And at a certain point, the jury is going to say, we can't believe them on that. We can't believe them on anything. Well, the next clip we're going to look at involves one of the four men from that evening. His name is Tyler Robinson, and he was at the house that night, of course, and he admits that he actually took a gun to Travis Rudolph's home, but says he never pulled it. A canine letter later located a gun, as I mentioned earlier. He testified about being in the car when Travis Rudolph fired those 39 shots at the vehicle. Let's listen. I'm still laying on the floor at this point, just trying not to get hit with any bullets. And then uh, at, when the car finally, um, this isn't something I can I can see, but um, um, I'm aware the car is, you can feel when you're in a car and it's moving, regardless if you can see or not. So I feel the car moving. Um, and I guess we turned around to leave, but then we just stopped. Um, or it seemed like we just stopped seemed like the car stopped moving um so i feel myself uh get shot um in my back um is this the second shot um uh, yeah um it is um i got uh after i felt another um shot in my back um I kind of was, and the car wasn't moving, so I'm under the assumption that if I'm getting shot, or so I believe I, I am, and that's what I feel, my brothers are probably getting shot too, so I'm thinking everyone in the car probably died because uh, we're not moving and no one's talking, so I just assumed everyone was dead. What'd you do then? Um, I just got out the car. You opened the door and ran out? Yeah, basically, I just, I didn't, like, I didn't want to die in the, sitting in the car, so I just, just got, I don't know, I don't, I just got out. Mr. Robinson, um, I know emotionally you're probably going through a lot right here. Are you pulling your firearm? Do you pull your firearm at any point during what you just described? Uh, no, ma'am. I kind of, uh, Forgot I had my gun in my pocket. Um, 
I want to protect my brothers. So how did he do on direct, Mark? Um, hate to overuse the term. I think he did fair. I don't think he did great. Uh, again, you know, the concern is, you know, here's this idea. The posse is coming at the request of the, the girlfriend. Um, shoot his blank up shooting with weapons, with guns. And then they do bring a gun, but the argument is, okay, I brought it to the car, but didn't bring it in. A little bit difficult to believe, particularly when you have Rudolph's testimony that he thought that there was a gun. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So they did fair. Again, a jury's got to look at this and say, if, if they're lying about one thing, can we believe them about much? And that's something the jury's going to have to wrestle with very much with this witness. 39 shots. I mean, a lot of people would say, hey, that's massive overkill. But how does that play into this? I think we need to talk about that for a moment because yeah. they're saying he had a semi-automatic weapon, 39 shots. They're, they're going away in the vehicle. You know, Rudolph thinks he sees a gun pointed at him. So is 39 shots too much? That's going to hurt. Um, a number of things are going to hurt his argument of self-defense, because remember, the essence of self-defense is reasonable fear of imminent, right now, great bodily injury. So when you're driving away, this argument of great bodily injury has sort of gone away. They're leaving. The threat, even momentarily, has subsided, in effect, from the, from the prosecution's case, because they're leaving. The argument that the defense has got to sort of wrestle with and get across to this jury is, you know, with everything that was going on, the guns in the area, him being in his own home, the idea that he shot a gun once is justifiable because he was truly in fear of imminent great bodily injury. Then you, if you get past justification of that first shot, you probably will get, be given a little bit of leeway on the rest. But I will tell you, the way it's going to come across in the prosecution, this guy is just wasting his entire magazine on people fleeing from the scene, and that is not self-defense. Let's now look at Travis Rudolph's attorney's grill, Tyler Robinson, on cross-examination. He is questioned about things that he only recently revealed about that text that Dominique Jones sent that really brought the posse or the group to Travis Rudolph's home that night. Let's look. You were asked by the prosecution on November 8th, 2021, Again, you're asked that Dominique texted you and Kashan saying, shoot his shut up. Is that correct? And you said, I don't remember. Right? Correct. Wasn't until Friday of last week was the first time 
Two years after this happened was the first time you ever said you that's what she texted you, right? Um, correct. It's in black and white. You saw a copy of it. The prosecution, the police, somebody told you, here it is. They got it now. Um, I agree. Because you knew Dominique erased her phone. She was trying to hide evidence, right? She told you that. Um, no, sir. You still talk to her every day? Um, no, sir, not every day. Still texting her messages, you love her and you got her and you'll do anything for her, those kind of messages like we saw? Um, of, of, uh, less, uh, it's less often, uh, that we, um, speak or I've spoken. Um, so no, sir, I don't, we don't relay those uh, messages okay. uh, quite as often. But you still love her, right? Correct. Do anything for her? Um, circumstantially. Would you go defend her honor again? No, sir. You were asked if Chris Lowe was at your house that evening by the prosecution. You said, I don't remember. Remember saying that? I agree. And you were asked if Sebastian showed up separate from Chris, and you said you don't remember. Um, I agree. You called them. You called Sebastian and Chris and said, come on over, we need to go do whatever words you want to use. We, we don't know. What, let me ask you this. Did you call those two guys? Um, uh, yes. All right. And the phone calls you had, to your knowledge, none of those are recorded, right? Uh, I'm not sure. No one ever told you that, hey, they have an actual recording of your, of your voice, did they? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, you guys use FaceTime a lot, right? Um, we have iPhones, so yes. You know FaceTime's not recorded. You, you That's easy to search, right? I'm, I'm not aware of that, sir. I don't know. Oh, okay. You don't, you don't know that? I don't work for a cell phone company, sir. I don't, that's not information that's important to me. Okay. <clears throat> You asked if you spoke on the phone to Dominique, and you said you don't remember back on November 8th of 2021, correct? Sustained. You asked if your brother was home that day, and you said you didn't remember. Remember saying that? I agree. Different than what you told us here last week, right? Uh, I agree. So, Mark, we have Tyler Robinson under cross-examination basically admitting yeah, there are things I only revealed for the first time last week. Yeah. So I think it was Mark Twain who said, you don't have to have a good memory if you don't lie, right? So, you, you know, you just keep telling the truth and just ask me a question and I can answer it because it's the truth. And the opposite is if you're making stuff up, if you're leaving stuff out, if you're crafting it the way you want to, it's very easy to get caught, right? And you start adding to it. And that's exactly what happened with this witness. He added to it recently. Um, and he was able to be cross-examination very well. There's, a, there's one of those things we use in closing argument. You know, if you have a piece of, or a bowl of stew and you're eating it and you get a piece of rancid meat, what do you do? Eat around it? No, you throw out the whole stew, right? Well, the same thing. They're going to argue he cannot be believed at all. So take all of his testimony and throw it in the trash and see if the state has proved their case without that. And that, that's a good argument from the defense, and we're going to see that. I think coming up. 
I thought it was interesting too that he basically admits that he loves her or he did love her. He has these like feelings for her. He was going there to defend her honor. Yeah, you know, and again, it's human nature. You, you want to, and I'm sure that these guys were reacting to what she said. Come over, he, he pushed me against a wall or whatever she was saying he did. Come over and shoot his blank up. Um, yeah, and quite honestly, I would act a certain way for my loved one or my friend or my um, sister uh, and, and you get over there and protect her honor. So I understand how it happened. The problem with it is that it comes right into, you know, force with the law that says you cannot go to somebody else's house and threaten great bodily injury, which certainly seemed to be what they were doing. Look, take the guns out of it. You beat somebody up. That's great bodily injury. You know, Trayvon Martin didn't have a weapon. Yet that self-defense survived the attack from the prosecution because just because of the injuries that were uh, inflicted on Zimmerman. So, you know, the whole thing about this is what they were doing. They caused it. They went to a man's castle and he's allowed to react. Mm -hmm. One thing that's interesting about this case, Mark, is the fact that we have family members of Travis Rudolph's involved in this whole incident, including Travis Rudolph's mother. She took the stand uh, in his defense. And of course, you know, Dominique Jones was dating Travis Rudolph, so she had interaction with her. So let's listen to a little bit of Travis Rudolph's mother testify in her son's defense. Do you remember what time you left your home that day on April 7th? Well, we usually have Bible study at seven. So I probably got to my sister's house maybe about a quarter to seven. Okay, and that's PM, obviously. Correct. And when you. When you get there, um, what, what do you do? When I get to my sister's house, we had Bible study. Immediately after Bible study, um, we was watching a movie. And then I got a call for Dominique. She was very hostile and irate. And she said, Ma, you better come get your son, Travis, because I'm going to have my, I'm going to have my brothers and his friends to come f him up and kill him. Have but I didn't think. That she was going to put a hit on them. I had the phone drop or she hung up the phone, so I had text her. Let me slow you down. When you get that call from her, did you have any idea what was going on? No, because she was screaming and hollering, and, and, and I couldn't really understand her, but that's when I text her. Okay. Did you try calling her back? No, I didn't call her. I just text her. What would you text her? I said, Dominique, I don't know what's going on with you and Travis. I said, but you both are grown. I say, if you all not getting along, you need to move on. I say, I love you like my own daughter. I don't teach my son to be disrespectful. I say, I will talk to Travis, and I will let you calm down, and I will call you later. And then she texts me back and say, he has the wrong one. That's all I'm going to say. He has the wrong one? Yes. Mark, how did she do? I thought she did very well. She did very well as a mom, right? I mean, look, you know, we look at the court system that we're all used to and say, okay, this is the way this witness acted. But she came across as a mom, you know, happy for her son who was somewhat you know, successful as a football player, you know, dating this woman who she was happy with for the most part. Uh, and then this crazy tragedy happens. And I thought she was very believable. And again, juries, we want to believe moms we love moms and we will listen to them and that's that's a very strong predisposition that i thought the defense played very well on um, with this jury 
and Linda Rudolph, you know, had interaction with Dominique Jones. So I thought that was very important too, that she, she was a part of this. So she, she certainly can testify to the dynamic at the time. And I thought, again, she did a great job with that as well, sort of bringing out what was going on, all of the emotions, everything that was happening between those two, then what happened when the other men came over. Uh, yeah, I thought, again, you know, if the jury is going to listen to one person and say, we believe that person is telling the truth, uh, it's going to be a mom. And it's going to be a mom who, like you say, interacts with everybody and was present at the very time it happened. Our next family member who testified for Travis Rudolph was his brother, Daryl. He was there that night and he was a part of this whole altercation. Let's listen to what Daryl said. Did you ever talk to her or like actually have an actual conversation on the telephone with Dominique after this happened? Uh, I don't really remember. Okay. When you were texting her, did you ever explicitly tell her that you had guns pointed at you and your brother shot a number of times at them? Did you ever tell her that? No, sir. How come? Because I thought it was separate expenditure. I mean, like, if you put two and two together with her saying, hey, my brother's going to come fuck you up, and then you got guys coming over with guns, yelling, screaming, and saying, you and Travis going to die today, and then when you actually see guns pointed at you, I mean, you would think that it would be common sense that Dominique, she should know this. It's common sense. If you put two and two together, you would think, like, she she basically orchestrated this whole thing. The, the fact why y'all are in this seat, and I'm sitting in this seat, why everybody right here in court right now, you know, you, you would think, Stop. Hold on there. Yeah. One second. The narrative objection is uh, sustained. All right. So you believe Dominique set the whole thing up? Yes, sir. She orchestrated the whole thing, so I figured she should know. Hold on. We got to everything. So <clears throat> you were very upset with her. Yes, sir. Still upset with her. Yes, sir. Mark, a lot of people might argue, well, Daryl's biased. It's his brother. He doesn't want his brother, Travis, going to prison. But he was indeed a part of what happened that evening. So was he credible? I think he was. You know, again, you, you, you want to listen to who was there and what they say. And there was not, although there was good cross-examination, I don't think it, it really attacked his credibility very much. I thought he came across... Sure, he's going to protect his brother to a certain extent, and he's going to shade things in favor and maybe evidence that level of fear. But I think the jury's going to be able to work through what part of it was him being, again, sort of favored to his brother, but also told the truth. It's pretty rare that we see a case where someone claims self-defense and they don't take the stand. You've experienced that. I want to talk about that in just a minute but travis rudolph was really the the main witness that the jury likely wanted to hear from in this case because he's the guy that fired the 39 shots he's the one who had the fight with dominique jones delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The jury got to hear from him. Listen. Is at this point any guns? No, not at this point. Uh, the, the fight that was going on, was it one-on-one? -on -one? No. Tell us about that. Um, 
it was a bunch of back and forth. Sometimes it'd be two on one. Sometimes it's three on one, four on one. You know what I'm saying? Between me and my brother. How were they fighting with you? Uh, they was they was like trying to hurt us really bad, like trying to kill. Us. I took it as they was trying to kill us. They kicking us, punching us. I got choked one time. Everything. Okay. And were they saying anything to you during this uh, during this battle? Yes, they said we on demon time. Y'all gonna die today. And what did that mean to you, demon time? You know about that? Like they basically like they don't excuse my language, the jurors, but they basically saying that I don't give a f about nothing. I'm coming to handle my business. Is that a new term, demon time? Yes. There was no talking. I got punched, and now I'm getting jumped. And now me and my brother is fighting for our lives. So they weren't there to find out your side of the story? No. They didn't care? No, they didn't. Brought like the police, huh? Right. Sustained. So you, you're, you're in a fight now. How long does it last, do you know? Or does it just seem like a long time? Um, it seemed like a long time. I remember I was like out of breath, especially after I got choked. So it seemed like a pretty long time to me. You're an NFL player. You, you can't beat up three, four guys? Nah, I mean, them guys knew what they was doing. Like I, I, I felt like I couldn't get the upper hand, nor my brother. So, All right. Did you lose sight of your brother at times? Yes. Tell us the best you remember after the guys jumped on top of you. What, what do you remember after that? Um, I remember, like I said, it was at one point, in the driveway, I was getting choked by Tyler, I believe, and my brother had came and like got him off off me. You say Tyler, that's the guy without. The yeah, shirt. the guy without the shirt. You know his name now, obviously. Yes. Okay. Um, and then after that, uh, like I was trying to like distance myself, and uh, I remember I went from like the bottom of the driveway to east. It'll be east. Um, from looking from outside my house, I went east and. Then that towards Mr. Estes' home or away from his home? Um, away. It'll be away from Mr. Estes' home. Okay. And uh, I remember at some point I get near the the palm tree with the bricks around it. What happens? Um, during that time, it was just me, Tyler, and Sebastian, and they were kind of trying to, like, angle me in. And when they was trying to angle me in, t Sebastian was saying, you f*** with the wrong girl, you finna die today. And then simultaneously when he was saying that, I, I seen Tyler he pulled out a firearm from his right pocket. Mark, I know in George Zimmerman's case, he opted not to testify, which I find really rare in these affirmative defense cases. You obviously felt you didn't need to put him up there. He didn't feel like he needed to get up on the stand. But I think it's really hard in a case like this when you don't put the defendant on the stand. So did Travis win the day for himself? Well, first of all, you're right. In an affirmative defense case like self-defense, you almost have to. I mean, you know, true or false in law school, put your witness on the stand in self-defense? Absolutely. Because you have to, because it's that person, the defendant, who says, I was in fear, it was imminent, and I believe this was going to happen, my perception of the fear. So not having someone testify like we decided not to do in the Zimmerman case or other dynamics um, is very, very difficult and can really come back to burn you. So. Having said that, what I thought happened here with Mr. Rudolph was he did a good job because he did what he had to do, which was say, look, this is what happened. I'm home. These people come in, fists are flying, guns are about. I don't know what's going on, but I'm protecting not only myself and my castle, but my family, uh, who's also you know, in danger at that point. So I thought it came across pretty compelling. And again, you almost have to have your client 
go up there and say, I'm the one who was in fear, unless it can really be presumed by the circumstances. Well, like we had in Zimmerman, we have five different statements where he said he was in fear. So that gave us an opportunity to avoid cross-examination of the client. Well, this is an interesting case for sure. Most of these are. Mark O'Meara, thank you so much for joining us. This was wonderful, and we hope you'll come back. Great seeing you again. Be well. And that's it for this edition of Law & Crime Sidebar Podcast. You can download and listen to Sidebar on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always watch it on Law & Crime's YouTube channel. I'm Anjanette Levy, and we will see you next time. Thank you.